0: Welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Julie Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. And this week, I'm with nutritionist Karen Newby, hot on the heels of an Instagram Live with the queen of the menopause, Davina McCall, on her new book, The Natural Menopause Method.
1: Food is the biggest lever that we have to make Sustainable change to our body. Um, It's everything that I talk about is about future proofing our body.
0: I think it's a real book for our times. Since Davina's documentary about HRT, everyone's talking about menopause. Karen's book is all about food, but it's not a recipe book. This is about arming women with the information we need to dodge the drug industry, understand how food heals, and to live in harmony with one of the natural events in our lives. I asked her if she set out to show women how to treat the menopause with a little respect.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And to start listening to our body again, probably for the first time in our lives, and to understand how food can help us get back in control. And uh, for me, it's really important for us to sort of get that relationship back with food and stop battling with our bodies and with food and feeling guilty about food uh, and to find the joy again in food and and what we're eating. Um, because I think for a lot of women, that just isn't there anymore. I mean, we are talking about
0: half the population worldwide, and we are talking about 10 years. Of half the mm-hmm. population feeling unempowered, feeling like we look terrible, feeling like, you know, we've lost our sex drive. We put on too much weight. We've, you know, we've lost who we are. We're screaming at everyone all the time. I mean, It's a yeah. nightmare, yeah. isn't it? But if you yeah. kind of unravel all of that, what we've done is we... Through no fault of our own, we have become victims of the food industry and it has got so into our psyche that we've forgotten how to eat. We talk about that a lot on this show. We are also victims of the gram, of social media making us feel terrible about ourselves anyway. Um, it is an anti-aging, anti-wise woman culture that we live in. And what your book does, it gently reminds us with some really straightforward usable information about how to re-engage with who we are. What's the menopause for, from a natural point of view?
1: Well, there's there's a lot of theories as to why it happens. The grandparenting theory is, is the one that is most bounded around. And we're the only mammals apart from um, uh, sperm uh, whales um, also go through the menopause because they live so long. Um, and the grandparenting complex is nature's way of... Uh, sort of quieting, quietening our ability to um, reproduce in order for us to look after our grandchildren, um, which, you know, um, uh, whales do. The women run the pods and they, um, but also to um, spare food. Um, So there's more food for the the flock. Um, So this this is a wonderful kind of natural process that happens. But unfortunately, um, certainly um, in, you know, the UK at the moment, um, you know, this, this process is being sort of bounded around as a sort of a deficiency, um, a hormone deficiency, which, um, you know, in my mind, it's yes, it the symptoms are because of this kind of the body getting used to lower levels. I mean, I had a, a real life
0: changing moment when I went to an ashram, I was doing some stories about an ashram in India. And the first people I saw as I walked through the doors of that ashram were a group of three, they must have been Scandinavian women, uh, who were in their 60s, who looked like angels. And I went straight <laughs> over to them and I, I just said, wow, you look like beauties, personified. you so tell me, tell me about yourselves. And we sat down. They were, so they were postmenopausal women. They were slim and beautiful and their skin looked incredible. And, you know, it turned out that they meditate every day. Of course, that's what you do in the ashram. Uh, it's very physical uh, exercise that they do. They eat vegetarian food that they grow in the ashram and they talk to people and they are open and they are living their best lives. Now, obviously, most people can't kind of have access to, to living in an ashram in india but actually we can take a lot of from that and one of the things that they said to me was that they felt free because finally they were able to give themselves the time they saw menopause as a rite of passage and i was just about to turn 31 and i hadn't had children and in that moment saw my future and i held that vision of these three graces all that time. So when I did come to the menopause, I had a different attitude towards it. And we'll talk a little bit about what I did later, because very much what you write about in the book is, is what I did. So can you approach it with a different attitude?
1: Absolutely. And I think there is so much negativity around the transition. Um, and it is about you know you know I spent a lot of time in asia as as well, and um, this kind of wise woman um, in uh, China and the fact that our elders are revered, whereas that just doesn 't happen so much there 's so much negativity the the stories around menopause and I think like you say it can be a really you know not having your periods every month and going through that cycle and you know periods for some women are you know horrendous um you know and that freedom and actually I also think there's um a transformation that happens to us psychologically as well in terms of us just feeling like this is my time and actually maybe these relationships haven't been serving me very well um And maybe I just need to ruffle a few feathers around me and maybe take some time for myself when I've been sort of spending my whole time looking after everyone except myself. Largely because the menopause... Forces us um, to stop and put ourselves further up the to-do list. Um, you know, because for most of us, our, our pets are before us on the to-do list, and you know that that can be the first time that's ever happened in our lives. And this is this is a really positive thing. Of you know, I've never exercised as much as I do now because it's my own time. I need it for my mental well-being, actually, more than my physical well-being, and I'm enjoying it more than I ever have before. Um, and those wonderful women that you met, you know, they are, they have community. Um, they have, you know, the, the whole thought of growing your own vegetables and, and then eating them. Um, but community is really important. And, you know, a circle of women is a powerful thing. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about my very first book back in
0: 1993, was about the Mediterranean diet. And my second book was Fibonetics. And it was the same idea, you eat for health, you eat to change your attitude about yourself. And I'm thinking about, you know, all that we know now, 30 years later, about the blue zone diets, it's all the same thing. And community is a really big part of that. So, you know, women are natural communicators, aren't we? We, It is in our DNA, Mm -hmm to communicate with each other and to build communities. And so actually taking that time to talk about how you feel, uh, to push the Instagram away and not compare yourself with other people, but to commune with other people about it is a really important thing. Passing on information, massive of information that you put in the book can help enormously, you know, stress, sleeplessness, you know, resetting, hot flushes, low energy, weight gain, all that kind of stuff. But the answers are very similar to what we know about how to eat. And so actually, people who are listening to this who are in their 30s now or even in their 20s can start to prepare by eating better now, can't they?
1: Absolutely. And I think for a lot of women, if we can get our cycles in balance um, and, and nourish ourselves and, and sort of flood our body with micronutrients, um, because no one's diet these days is bad um, but it's so low in nutrients and we are one big chemical reaction and if we haven't got um, enough vitamin c or magnesium we'll still go um, but at the expense of our vitality so for any women listening in their 30s that for example struggle with their menstrual cycle there is you know my my book talks about you know how to um, nourish that menstrual cycle so that you don't get any PMS. I want all women to, um, arrive at their period every month with no pain and, and, and minimal kind of emotional roller coasters. And, and, and the beauty of the, of food is that it can, it can help this. And then once you sort of do the preparation, um, you will go through menopause much easier.
0: Like millions of women all over the world, let's be clear, there are plenty of cultures where women don't go through such awful symptoms as people do in the West. Uh, yep. Again, food is the answer to that. Yep. I mean, is it, for example, eating much more vegetables?
1: Well, I would say when you look at um uh, in Asia, for example, in China and Japan, um, they suffer much less with uh, one of the most common symptoms, which is hot flushes in this country is 80% of us will suffer with those, whereas in Japan and Asia, it's down to sort of 34%, if not lower. Um, and one of the reasons is and it is coupled with plants, but it is eating um, more phytoestrogens. And this, these are plants, but sort of therapeutic plants, if you like. So these are your tofu, your tempeh, your miso. Um, ground linseed is a wonderful source of lignans, which is also part of the phytoestrogen family. And, you know, they've been eating that for all of their lives. And their gut, because of all these plants that they're eating, you know, a, a palm size of chicken will f- will feed a whole family because they're eating loads of vegetables with that too. So their gut health... Um, will be much more superior to ours because of that abundance of plants so it has a a sort of a a ripple effect across the body but yes phytoestrogens and more plants absolutely important
0: and presumably those women like the rest of us are either low in estrogen or progesterone that's the kind of the thing isn't it is it Mm -hmm. just can you explain that a little bit
1: Yeah. So um, as we come into, so perimenopause is the lead up to menopause, which is essentially one day. It's the day uh, where you haven't had a period for a year. So perimenopause can last, you know, eight to 10 years, and then obviously postmenopause. You can also have symptoms postmenopause. And in the perimenopausal period, we're not always ovulating. Um see we might still be cycling regularly um, as we always have done um, there was a big study done in the states the SWAN study um, which uh, showed this fact that we, we're not always ovulating and if we're not always ovulating we're still producing estradiol from our ovaries so estrogen but we're not producing progesterone because progesterone is only produced um, post ovulation from the ovaries um, from this little sac called the corpus luteum Um, And this is when we start to get these kind of imbalances going on. And menopause is often sort of bounded around as sort of being a low estrogen state. But actually, we can have a surge of estrogen as the body has one last ditch attempt to get pregnant. Um, But also, we have this kind of imbalance of ratios between estrogen and progesterone. And this is what often causes um, what's kind of known as estrogen... Dominance or unopposed estrogen. And these symptoms can be things like heightened rage, heightened PMS symptoms, water retention, very um tender breasts, um, very heavy periods. So progesterone is often called the period lightening hormone. Um so and and this is why we can often start to um suffer with psychological symptoms of menopause way before any physical symptoms and I think a lot of women they don't um we we, we don't understand that because we're, we're waiting for the hot flushes well actually the hot flushes and the aches and pains often happen towards the latter end when our periods are starting to elongate or get shorter um and these psychological symptoms are due to the fact that estrogen is is linked to serotonin which is our happiness neurochemical and a lot of women suffer suddenly with low mood um and lack of motivation and finding no joy in things that used to bring them joy and that that can be really discombobulating for them and those around them and then progesterone is often lower progesterone is our anti-anxiety hormone So anxiety is another psychological symptom that can really manifest. And progesterone is needed to support a very calming neurochemical called GABA, which helps with sleep. Yeah, so put that into
0: a picture and you've got me aged 48 coming back from a class of 30 students going into a hot flush thinking, oh, my Lord. There are 30 people watching me having a hot flush right now. My adrenals going crazy (laughs) with the anxiety. Uh, Turned out they hadn't even noticed, of course, because they were too busy on their phones. (laughs) Um, But then coming home to find the house absolutely filthy, the dogs hadn't been taken for the walk, and roaring at my children, who were trying desperately not to laugh. That's what it looks like. So you've then got this endless sort of cycle of anxiety and anger and despair and, you know, your sex drive is absolutely at rock bottom and so you can't yep. even get a hug <laughs> it's a nightmare isn't it so yeah let's talk about how to deal with that your first food moment is is sleep and anxiety you know sleep Mm -hmm. gives us an opportunity to reset but while all of that stuff is going on we we often don't sleep at all
1: well the problem is is that sleep does go out the window at, at perimenopause because of lots of different reasons so first off is the progesterone GABA calming neurochemical link that I've already mentioned um, but also, you know, if we're dealing with um, night sweats um, or frequent trips to the loo or if we're dealing with aches and pains or um, that very sort of busy head, this can also exacerbate sleep. And I think women are there was a research that came out last year that showed that women ha- were likely to have a month a year less sleep than their male counterparts going through perimenopause. Um, So, you know, for me, sleep should actually be at the start or stress is at the start. That's another big issue. But um, it is so important because if we don't wake up, if we haven't had a good night's sleep, then we are then going to reach for caffeine and refined carbohydrates to get us through the day. Um, If we wake up feeling Exhausted, which so many women do, we're not going to want to exercise or, you know, we are going to be foggy headed. So it it creates this catch 22. So no coffee in the morning. You prefer lemon
0: in hot water. Yeah. To cleanse the body and to rehydrate. Yes. What about the nut butters that you suggest?
1: Yeah. So um, magnesium is nature's tranquilizer um, and is often low. So if you suffer for anything like twitchy leg or period cramping or migraines, um, these are also signs of low magnesium. Magnesium is abundant in um, green leafy vegetables, uh, pumpkin seeds, cashews, avocados, black beans, you know, nice veggie chili with some guacamole um, and um, Epsom bar salts. I'm a big fan of those. If you like baths to, to lie in a bath for 20 minutes, um, to have the magnesium absorbed through the skin can really help if you get that kind of wide and tired feeling before bed. So magnesium incredibly important. Um, and then we have, um, other foods to take off your plate. So these would be your sort of your cured meats, your high, tyramine and high histamine foods which can um, stimulate adrenaline and stop us from sleeping we all know if we've had wine and cheese that we're not going to sleep well and that's why because they're both high histamine high tyramine foods um, going to uh, eating your evening meal earlier will reduce the heat in the body so post digestion um, it creates a lot of heat and um, this can exacerbate sleep because our body needs to be cool um, tryptophan is an amino acid that we have to get from our diet and tryptophan goes on to make serotonin and then melatonin
0: Melatonin is essential for, for sleep. Um, it's it's called the Dracula hormone yeah. because it only comes out at night. Um, go to sleep when the, the day naturally darkens. We don't do that. Okay, so we, we're low in melatonin because mm-hmm. of oestrogen. Is that right? If we're lower in oestrogen, just that yeah. d- dip the melatonin. Okay, so we've got natural problems stopping us sleeping. Mm-hmm. How do we naturally enable melatonin then to come back into our bodies through food?
1: Melatonin is affected by the stress hormone cortisol. So if we're very stressed, that will be stopping melatonin from coming out. Light um, is also something that will stop melatonin from being released because the body thinks, oh, it's still daytime. So stopping scrolling um, an hour before bed can really help. Um, And, you know, going up and having that Epsom salt bath, etc., Um, but melatonin actually is in some foods for example like tart cherries so you can get in health food stores um, tart cherry juice um, that is something that you can have a little shot of in the evening Um, but tryptophan is the amino acid that goes on to make melatonin Um, and this is abundant in things like um, uh, chicken and and turkey and um, certain nuts and um, you know even a bit of bananas and things like that um can you know just having those in your evening meal can really help a little bit of white rice can help actually the way that white rice is digested can um, make more available tryptophan to actually go through the blood brain barrier and help us feel sleepy it's fascinating
0: i mean they, these are actual things that we can eat to give ourselves a more natural menopause your second uh food moment is pain and inflammation one of the mm. biggest things biggest breakthroughs i think in us understanding how food can make us feel healthier is about the anti-inflammatories tell us about sugar
1: yeah absolutely well sugar um is so omnipresent in our diet now isn't it and i'm all about a little bit of what you fancy um but i think the problem is is that we when we get these kind of um blood sugar imbalances so if you ever feel kind of hangry or shaky faint need to eat now you're not in control of what you're eating you will want to eat more fine carbohydrates to bring the blood sugar up the brain likes to keep blood sugar within a very specific level um if it goes, you know, if you have your tea and toast or, you know, lots of refined carbs, the blood sugar will go high, insulin is released, but then you can often get this kind of reactionary hypoglycemic moment. And this can exacerbate mood and irritability um, and um, anxiety. Um, and as I say, you're not going to want to eat broccoli. Um, you're going to want to eat, you know, refined carbs, bring the blood sugar back up. And every time we have those lows in blood sugar, this increases the stress hormone cortisol. Um, so if you're already very stressed because midlife can be, incre- you know, menopause is happening at a time when we are dealing with a, a high life load, teenagers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a good combo, is it? Um, I have two of them, um, and you know, my mother went had me at twenty three. I'd I'd yeah, left home. It's exactly. a completely different ball game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so getting those blood sugars in balance has a massive effect on how well you um, feel during the day and how in control you feel of food and i think so many of us have this kind of reactionary food um, where we 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 should feel hungry gradually um we we shouldn't feel this kind of hunger that comes from the sh- um the chest which is more of a stress response um, it should grow gradually and we should think, oh, I'm a little bit peckish, but I, I don't need to eat immediately. And then you have time to create a more nutrient dense lunch um, or evening meal, something
0: like oily fish, nuts, seeds, linseed oil, cooking with olive oil. Um, mm-hmm. Just seeds,
1: seeds, seeds. Yeah. What's not nutrient dense? What do we? What should we absolutely avoid? Things like your sad sandwich. You know, a cheese and ham sandwich doesn't give you any sustenance. Or toast tea and toast at breakfast. Absolutely. And I really like the way
0: you say pain is inflammation. If you feel pain, you know, I went to the doctor 15 years ago and said that I'd I'd got a a painful hip. And he put me on the list for surgery without even mentioning food. I just went to yoga and changed my diet. I don't have any pain in my hip now. Um, I don't take anything for it. Um, but I have changed the way I eat and the way I approach pain, uh, because I understand its inflammation. Explain that correlation for you between pain and inflammation.
1: Yeah, so um, w- we tend to get more aches and pains, more um, osteoarthritis and arthritis in general um, before, uh, during menopause, because oestrogen has pr- um, anti-inflammatory roles in the body. So this is why menopause is now um, classified as an inflammatory event in a woman woman's life Um, so we have to work with our body and and, you know versus like I say battling against it we need more anti-inflammatory foods because generally the British diet is more sort of pro-inflammatory so um, there are two um, essential amino acids, omega-3 and omega-6, which we need both of them in our body. The body does not make them itself. Omega-6 is from kind of meats um, and dairy and lots of kind of vegetable oils. And these are these have a more pro-inflammatory effect on the body. We still need them, but we we need them in balance. Everything about the body is about being in balance. So we need more omega-3s, which are more anti-inflammatory. And this, these are the foods that we often don't eat enough of. And which is why the Mediterranean diet is just so amazing, because it's an abundance of oily fish. Um, you know, um, o- you know, olive oil is oleic acid, you know, that's very antioxidant rich. Um, but you know, having more oily fish in our diet, having more nuts and seeds, things like linseed oil is great to have on a salad dressing. It's, it's a great vegan source of omega-3. Um, but also things like ginger and turmeric um you know we get so many fads here or we did do didn't we with the, sort of the turmeric la- latte whereas in india they've been cooking with turmeric you know i within ayurvedic medicine you know 5000 years old worth of you know medical um system you know they're using this they know that it's anti-inflammatory ginger hugely yeah. anti-inflammatory which leads
0: us nicely on to your third food moment, um, supplements. Talking about uh, omega-3s, omega-6s, should, can people just take supplements and be done with it? Or is that not the point?
1: Say it's not the point. It's definitely not the point. <laughs> no. So I'm very much about food first. And unfortunately, there is a bit of an unnatural hierarchy that happens, certainly in the West. So not within these ancient systems of healthcare like Ayurvedic and um, traditional Chinese medicine, where we have these kind of double blind placebo controlled trials, which are much easier to do on drugs, then supplements, and then diet um, and, and food. Um, And, you know, for me, food is the biggest lever that we have to make sustainable change to our body. Everything that I talk about is about future proofing our body. As well, you know those omega-three anti-inflammatory foods are also hugely important for our mental health as well. Stacks of of um, data on omega-threes and um, depression, for example, even before menopause. But supplementation can be useful because we lead a life that is so far removed from our natural rhythms. And the life load that we're dealing with is a huge kind of drain on our adrenal glands. And these are little glands that sit on top of the kidneys. They're kicking out our stress hormone, but they also are ovary backups at menopause. This is why I think women suffer so much now is because of stress. So the body prioritizes survival over reproductive hormones. So supplementation, um, for example, if you're very stressed, you need more vitamin C. We don't store vitamin C. Um, You know, this is when supplements can really just help you if you know you're having a full-on week. Um, things like um, omega-3s are incredibly important if you are suffering with arthritis so things like digestive support if you know you're getting lots of bloating then you know prebiotics and probiotics if you've had antibiotics probiotics can really help afterwards or natural yogurt Absolutely, or kefir. a abs- big fan of kefir. Yeah, exactly.
0: HRT. Let's talk very, very quickly about this. We haven't got a lot of time left, and uh, you know, you do talk about it in in your book. I, I went to a nutritionist who is also a homeopath and a kinesiologist, and I mean, I still go to her. She's amazing. She talks about the whole body. It's mm-hmm. a completely holistic form. It changed my life. She gave me progester care. It is a hormone replacement. It's not a chemical one, but it's it's a natural one. But it is to replace the dip in my progesterone, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that, that was great for me. And I went through the menopause effortlessly after that. Mm-hmm. Not effortlessly at all before that. <laughs> and then, but with the change in my diet and with the progesterone, it, it was absolutely amazing. And what do you think about HRT?
1: Well, I'm not anti-HRT at all. Um, I'm not on it myself um, at the moment. Um But I think it can be really helpful for women and the research is, you know, more and more research is being done on it. Um, There's lots of positive research on it, certainly when it comes to cardiovascular health. Um, And it's a tool for women should they need it. Because as I say, you know, we are, you know, we're living such a full on life and sometimes these things are needed.
0: I mean, we know that the industry rubs its hands in glee the more women suffer. Uh, The whole medical industry is predicated on, you know, let's not explain what's really happening here. Let's give them a drug and let's give them a drug that they'll want more of and that they will kill for in lockdown. Um, (laughs) You know, we do need to enable everyone to take responsibility for their own health. I mean, of course, everybody should do what they need to get through the Mm -hmm. day. But enabling, empowering, uh, creating a community of information, enabling the wise woman to come out, that's really important. It is.
1: And I think for me, it's really important for women, even if you're on HRT, to actually understand how much agency you have over your body. And I think, you know, a lot of the dialogues that are going on at the moment about this whole, it's a deficiency, give us back our hormones. Uh, you know, is incorrect because, you know, we still make estrogen and progesterone postmenopause. It is, it is rot you know, it's just not, it's not scientifically correct. And I think a lot of women do feel worried that they're not taking HRT, even if they don't have many symptoms, because they're worried, oh, well, you know, is this going to affect my bone health? And, you know, there's this sort of worry there about cardiovascular health. It's like the most preventative medicine that we have is through our food. And if we could bottle it and put it in a pill, I mean, or if a drug company could do that, then, you know, <laughs> they would make a lot.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. So don't tell them about bitter, which is mm. your fi- final food moment. It, it, it's the word of, of 2024. You mentioned Ayurveda before. Bitter is at the centre of Ayurveda's healing powers. It, it, it's it been used for hundreds of years to aid digestion, isn't it? Give us some examples of bitter leaves, bitter foods that we
1: can take and why we should. Yeah, well, even in Italy, you know, they will have a chicory salad to start um or you know argula the rocket um uh you know artichoke uh you know even dandelion and teas and things like that we we just don't eat bitter foods anymore because our diet is so sweet so we find bitter foods very unpalatable because our palate is very sweet um, and you know it's amazing how these bitter foods have been used for for millennia because they understand that it stimulates the um, the vagus nerve to stimulate um, our digestive juices and saliva in order to ready the body for food and. Uh, you know, a big part of my book is about digestion because you can have the best diet in the world, but if you're not digesting your food properly, which many people do not, um, it's a complete waste of time. Eating on the
0: run. Go Mediterranean again. Sit down, Mm. take your time over the food, eat eat with people, have a laugh and drink a bitter aperitif. Like a Negroni.
1: Yes, and the and the Aperol, you know, even, the, you know, Negroni. I mean, I find that Negroni is quite hard, um, even Aperols. Uh, but, you know, that, that sort of bitter aperitif, how smart are the Italians? They just know that. They don't have a double-blind placebo-controlled trial on that. They just understand how the body works and the importance of food and to celebrate food as well which we just don't do enough of. I want women to find that joy. And we have a food industry that doesn't really care about our health. um, And you know, all this processed food and we need to find more time to cook. I want to eat nutrient rich home cooked food and it it really doesn't take long. Um, But it is quite radical because we live this turbocharged life that we expect our food to be like that too. And you know, like you say, in, in France or, you know, they, they will stop for two hours and have a wonderful lunch and be thinking about what's for lunch all morning. And that's how I feel. What's, what is for for supper tonight? You know, that's one of my biggest excitements of my day.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Do head over to the Extra Bites on my Substack to watch Karen make a simple minestrone soup rich in collagen, although she does drop her phone into the soup. And I'll see you next week.